Right, welcome to another episode of the BRC Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Ramick. On the podcast, we have Doctors Shion, uh, Joe and Tracy. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge I'm uh, producing this podcast on the territories of the Klamen, Homox, Clayhus, and Homoko First Nations, who are one nation before we settlers came in, stole their lands and put them into reserves. Grateful to be able to be here on these unceded lands and learn and grow. So today we're talking about uh, a couple of, uh, we're talking to a couple, of, I think, I think fair to say, fairly well-known behavior analysts um, who've, who've just really been pumping out a lot of really amazing work, prolific work um, in our field. Um, and I think most folks will recognize your names um, uh, and and sort of a lot of the cool stuff you do, Joe. I know you do a lot of work in autism. You're you know you're connected to the Autism Partnership Group, uh, which we can talk a little bit about too for sure. And and then Tracy, you're 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 all over the place um, um, doing different things. Sounds like kind of you started early on in sort of the autism realm, like everybody else, but kind of ventured into a whole other. A lot of different places, a lot of really cool places, a lot of places I just really hadn't heard of before. Um, um, so really looking forward to kind of learn more about those. For me, it was really about, uh, you know, uh, the name and uh, and the connection and, and sort of that sibling piece um, around kind of, you know, getting into the field. I mean, we've, I know, again, Joe, you've, uh, you, you're with our Autism Partnership and, and, and the Leafs. And uh, well, first off, I'd like to actually talk about your name. So sort of the the origin of that name why it's pronounced that way do you kind of know like sort of the origin of your family and 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 and, and the name and whatnot I, I did a little bit of googling and saw you know that according to ancestry.com um uh, your your family name sort of came into existence in the states in around the 20s um and, and they talked about there being uh you know five five different uh Xi'an families back then and so on uh but you know it's hard to know if if ancestry is on the ball with this sort of stuff so I'm just curious if you guys know a bit of the origin of your kind of name and that sort of thing um I think we we know a little bit you might know more than we do uh, <laughs> our, our dad was the youngest of the youngest um mm. and so oftentimes when that happens I think the um, the transmission of information from family history gets lost along the way. Mm. Um, we do know um, that uh, the origin of our last name is Polish. Okay. Um, I have learned over time that the pronunciation of our name, however, is French. Mm. Um, so the CIA uh, combination says she in, in French. Not sure why that's necessarily mm. the pronunciation. Um, I also know that there are several variant spellings. Um, so there were differences in the spellings of Xi'an, um, and you'll see some variations of that depending on what region of the U.S. you're in. Um, mm -hmm. Or C-H-I-C-O-C-H-I. I see one here, C-I-C-H-O-N. Yeah, there's yep. one. Yep. Like, mm -hmm. So as you move like toward Ohio, uh, West Virginia, that sort of region of the, the U.S., you see um, a few more Xi'ans and some of the, the variant spellings. Mm -hmm. so, but, uh, kind of funny, the other day, um, someone asked me, is the C-I in your first name and the C-I in your last name pronounced the same way? I said, nah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nah no, it's not. Uh, some things you learn is, as you start teaching reading, especially reading in English. So the variant spellings and, and pronunciations are, are fun. 
Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you know more than I do about that? No, I think that's, that's as much as I know. I, I was hoping that you knew more than I did and I was going to learn something new, but yeah, that's, that, that's the extent that I have too. And I think there was something with, with ski on the end of it too. At some mm-hmm. point there's like a Shiana ski too. Uh, I, that I don't Raptor. know. Yeah. As, you know, as, as, as folks, um, you know, came to to the U.S. from from various places. Um, the it's it's an intimidating process, I think. And and there's yeah. some fear, and uh, it, your name gets written down the way it gets written down, and and doesn't necessarily you, you're not really interested in correcting the spelling per se. You're more interested in, in getting your family into a safe, um, stable environment. Yeah, yeah. And so you said so. The, the origin is Polish. So was your dad? family polish then or like or did, and, and do you have some connections there at all or have you uh, to, to poland or um not it, we don't i don't think necessarily have them directly to there is an event every year called the uh what's it called joe the polish picnic um <laughs> that, that is is um uh, a lot of our extended family and um i've attended I guess at least twice the first time I was so young. I I don't mm. remember, Joe, you might've been there too, but probably if I don't remember, you certainly don't. Um, and then um, because I was going to graduate school one time at, at the Ohio State University, I was pretty nearby. And so mm. I made another stopover as an adult. Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, here's uh, here's a few facts from Ancestry. So uh, 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 yeah, it says the Xi'an family name was founded in the USA in 1920. There were five families living in Illinois, so that makes sense because I know there's 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 that Illinois connection for you folks, uh, which was, and they say that this is about 26 percent of all the recorded Xi'ans of the USA. Illinois had the highest population. Again, that makes sense because that's where you guys are from, right? Mm-hmm. I believe. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, the uh, the the top reported job for people in the USA in, in 1940, 38 percent of Xi'an men were laborers, mm-hmm. um, and then 38 percent were miners and 25 percent were clerks. So there you go. Here's that kind of working class sort of history and 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 kind of mm-hmm. things that were kind of built on that. What I liked here, and I think this will this will make make you folks happy as well, uh, is the life expectancy of the Xi'an. Uh, so uh, in uh, 1977, that was a, that was your lowest point. Um, uh, um, where it was around 75 or so. Um, and in 2004, which, you know, and that's 20 years ago. And so, uh, uh medical science, I think will probably up this even more. It was 89. Wow. So <laughs> you got, you guys are looking pretty good for, uh, for, uh, for, for outlasting. So that's, uh, uh, pretty awesome. Um, yeah, so that, that's neat. Um, so I'm curious just, just about sort of what, what, uh, you know, uh, I, I know you're the, the, the chat, we talked about sort of uh, before we hit record about uh, that chapter you wrote, Tracy, in, in the Women in Behavior Science uh, Observations on Life Inside and Outside the Academy, which just after reading your little chapter, I think this is a book everyone's got to get. I, I imagine there's a lot of these great stories about women in behavior analysis and, and that history, which I think is really important. Um on a lot of levels, I'm, I'm sure, as you folks know, I've interviewed a lot of folks um, from kind of more marginalized backgrounds, particularly, uh, you know, kind of black and indigenous behavior analysts. And many of them, uh, like yourself, Tracy, that I read, are were first generation um, folks kind of going going into university and, and kind of doing those sorts of things. And and hearing kind of the stories of their sort of experiences growing up. Um, 
I think have really echoed for a lot of younger, uh, you know, kind of black and indigenous uh, folks, um, black folks more. So I think there's, you can kind of count on one hand, the number of indigenous behavior analysts, which is a conversation for another day, but um, um, just sort of the inspiration for folks that, that, you know, this is something I can do. This is, you know, this is something I might be able to do one day. Um, um, but that, that chapter um, that you wrote is on kind of grief and loss. And obviously I, I don't want to just focus on, on 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 the sad parts of your life and I, and and obviously there was more to this more to that going on but I'm curious sort of what life was like for for both of you growing up in terms of kind of how that you know played a role in in uh, in, uh, in 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 building the folks you guys are today um gosh I mean <laughs> we've both been around for a minute um, Joe, yeah. Joe, you're older do you want to start since yeah. I'm older uh yeah right. Yeah, no. <laughs> I thought I could throw that one in there. Um, I don't know. I, I think um, you know, we're a pretty fun family. Um, mm. we have a, a pretty extended and and blended family. Mm. Um uh let's see, uh, maybe just to start with um kind of how how our family composition is, I mm. suppose. Um there were our parents, um, Sandy and Dan. Um, and I came first. Uh, and then a few years later, Joe came around. Um mm. Our parents divorced when I was seven, so Joe was a little bit younger. Um, and then um, we stayed uh, living with our mom, but would visit dad on weekends, and they were still mm. very much um, involved in in our lives. And um, I think, in in some ways, you know, very fortunately that that they always put us first. Mm. Um, so despite the divorce, um, there was never any challenges with us all being in the same space, mm. and, and that continues to today. Um, dad got remarried first. Um, I don't remember how old I was then, Joe. Any? I don't know either. We were both young. Um, mm. Yeah. But I don't remember how young. Not sure either. And then um, my dad and his second wife um, had our sister, Ashley. Um, so there, there's a third Xi'an sibling in this mm. uh, family. We have tried to recruit her to behavior analysis. <laughs> on a few Our efforts have failed thus far. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she's uh, much happier in, in health administration and and doing work in that area. There, yeah. so she she can talk behavior analysis with us, though. Um, I think with her her double degrees in psych and sociology gave her a little bit of context there. Um, yeah. And uh, so that's her younger sister Ashley. Um, then I think mom remarried next. Um, then I think I was around thirteen. I do remember yeah. that some significant um, geographical changes in living structure um, that that happened there. And with um, my mom's second marriage, we acquired um, two stepbrothers and a stepsister. Um, And so we all kind of fell in age range a little bit from our older stepbrother down to Joe was the youngest. Um, Then that divorced again, um, remarried a third time. And Mm. we three additional stepbrothers um and then dad divorced again <laughs> um, mm. and uh we tease him that he's either really good at or really bad at marriage 
out yet. Um, but again, um, you know, I think the the part to emphasize with all of this is that there's always opportunities where we're moving in and out of each other's spaces with various step parents, um, our biological parents, um, you know, as, as siblings, step siblings, half siblings, and all the all the things. Um, I think those are probably the highlights in the. Uh, sometimes I feel like I need a dry erase board to kind of show all the relations, but. Yeah, yeah I think that's that's a, a wonderful summary of, of where we are now with our family makeup anyway. But I do want to emphasize what Tracy said, that at every step, uh, while, while there were challenges when all of that happens, you know, every mm -hmm. family has challenges when you're merging families together, especially yeah. when kids are involved. Uh, nobody had a problem being in the same space as the other people uh, mm. and the kids were always kind of put first uh, and I think I'll speak for myself I won't speak for you Tracy but I always felt supported uh, I think Tracy probably feels the same way Absolutely. but I don't want to say that for you yeah no 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 thank you but yes I did mm -hmm. yeah. and that's amazing that was actually gonna be my next question I mean it's again I, I don't have you know, a lot of experience with, uh, you know, uh, some of these kind of big life changes. Um, um, like, what, what effect did, I mean, you, you clearly kind of got used to it a bit with your dad. <laughs> but but what, 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 kind of what effects did that kind of have on you early on at, at that first round when you're both still kind of like, you know, super young, like you were, what you say, you were like seven or seven or eight or around there at that age. And, Mm -hmm. And so, so, so what was like the first round like for you guys and, and kind of did it, did it take a while to sort of get over that or, 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 or were your folks just so, like you said, so focused on you kids, you know, as, as being sort of the priority through all this that, you know, they, they were able to kind of shield you from a lot of the stresses of all this. Well, I'm sure it differed for Tracy than it did for me. Since you've been going first, I figured I'll, I'll, I'll take this one. Yeah. But the first one, I, I don't actually have any memories of my mom and dad being married together. Because um, mm, I was so young. I, so right. it, it like, and I'm sure Tracy can have those memories. But for me, I, I didn't actually have them. So for me, it was just, it was normal. It was just kind of what I was brought up in and, mm. and when I could remember those things. Yeah, I think Joe, you make a really good point that that I think at every sort of transition or, or even you know phase we we went through as kids, we we tended to have different experiences. One because of our our ages and what we can recall and remember, um, but also because of our ages and what sorts of additional roles or responsibilities um, came along with some of those transitions. And so for me, I do have distinct memories of my of our our parents, um, you know, being married and us being a, like a, like I remember the day Joe came home from the hospital. Um, mm. Sorry, Joe, I was really disappointed because I thought he was going to play with me. <laughs> um, I was so excited to have like someone to hang out with and, and play with. And he just like laid there um, and cried and, you know, sort of took um, uh, at that point, you know, our parents' attention away from me. Um, so there's that, you know, I think typical challenge there. Um, and then when our, our parents divorced, I was, you know, a little bit older. Um, and so I assumed some some different responsibilities and the 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 family arrangements we had um you know with mom um you know helping in in some different ways and then um being at dad's you know interacting in some mm. different ways 
parents. Um, and so I think oftentimes, um, uh, even with parents who do everything that they can to put the kids first, um, there are some additional roles or responsibilities that tend to fall on the older sibling um, mm. in, in cases of, of parent divorces or, or separation. Mm. Mm. And so then, for for you, Joe, what about the you know the the, the you know the second one? You know, was, was that a little bit more of an interesting experience, or definitely more interesting? I could, I mean, at least I can remember that one, and it was yeah. different too because we got another sibling out of it. Right. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, our little sister Ashley. So that was so I got to experience a little bit of what Tracy experienced with me, but also I was older at that time too yep. than I think Tracy was uh, when when our parents initially got divorced. Uh, so I definitely remember that one more, but, uh, I think at, I was kind of at the age and I didn't have the responsibilities of being the older sibling that it was, mm. it was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> you know, we got to go to a new place, new family, right. new people, you know? So I, I think I enjoyed some of those things cause I didn't have to worry about some of the other things. Mm -hmm. Hmm. That's really interesting that, you know, that, that it's sort of a, <laughs> most folks don't get positives at a divorce and, 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 you know and you're like oh, i got a brand new little sister and and i get to go traveling more and i get to see places and i'm more exposed to things i mean that's just really cool i mean i'm sure there were the times that i was a thorn and and you know my parents side for yeah. you know those types of things but i think overwhelmingly i i remember the the fun stuff more so mm. than I do any of the not so fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. And kind of as it went along, and I mean, not to sort of, you know, uh, beat your dad down here. I mean, it, it sounds like <laughs> overall, it sounds like overall, your, 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 your parents sound like they were great parents and great and, 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 and great people. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think some I think something we've learned today, you know, that you know wasn't so prevalent, you know, when when we were all kids, is that you know, first off, divorce is just so common um, um, now, and uh, and and just the sort of as adults, we I think we understand that you know relationships are you know take a lot of work, and and uh, you know and 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 uh, and it's you know marriage is it, it, you know in the end marriage is is a piece of paper that you sign um um but otherwise it's just, it's a relationship um and it takes a lot of things to keep relationships together and and relationships fall apart and that's normal and that's life and moving on and it sounds like your folks just did a great job of of moving on um and 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 and, and really being a support for you folks is that safe to say yeah, I think, and I think our support's just sort of expanded um, with each new relationship or, or family dynamic that that shifted or changed. And I think that's been um, something for us that's been a, a real source of support is that um, in, in whatever uh, you know, consolation our, our family exists in, um, there has always just been, uh, you know, incredible support for, for what we want to do, who we want to be, what life avenues we, we want to pursue, um, in our own personal and professional development. Uh, and, and we just kept seeing that, that network expand. Um, and, and even still, um, I, I think all of our, our parents, former step parents, Step siblings, siblings, however, whatever arrangement um, mm -hmm. we put together, um, we're, we're, you know, we'd all be there for any 
one of us. Um, mm-hmm. and, and those relationships continue, um, mm-hmm. even after separations, but, but you're right. I mean, um, I remember, you know, when our biological parents divorced, um, it was, uh, me and, and one other friend that I had who had divorced parents. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so we kind of walked through that process as friends together and, and have maintained a friendship, um, cause that sort of connected us, but, but now it's a, a much more common occurrence. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me think of, you know, because it makes me think of, you know, uh, the aces, right? So there's adverse child childhood experiences and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and what effect those can have on folks in later life. And, and I think what, what we often hear about when we hear about sort of childhood trauma and, and traumatic events is that kids don't have an opportunity to deal with that in any kind of way, you know, and so that's how it, builds and grows and, and, you know, and, and affects folks in kind of their adult lives. Um, um, but it sounds like, you know, you folks were, you know, in, in, you know, probably in some ways an anomaly, um, but also kind of a model for how, you know, a traumatic event can be, can still be framed you know, in, in a really positive light, like, like, like just, you know, I, I just love your comment, Joe, about, you know, new, a new sister and, and and a place to travel. I mean, I mean, many other kids might might have had a completely different experience in that way. So it really sounds like you know your folks um, uh, were 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 on the ball in terms of of kind of kind of mitigating that. It, I'm curious, is there anything sort of about your folks that sort of made them you know Sort of, sort of the right kind of people to be able to parent and 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 deal with these kinds of things. Did they, did they have lives that went growing up that sort of, um, uh, you know, led them to be kind of, led them to really focus on resiliency and 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 uh, and, and the positives in things when you know when 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 kind of dark times happen because 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 that's awesome. Uh, I think. Um... I mean, what, what we understand of, you know, our parents' childhood, um, it's, uh, we, we weren't there directly. Um, yeah. so, sure. so sort of reporting through, um, what we've learned over the years, um, you know, they both, uh, definitely overcame some, some, some challenges, uh, growing up, um, you know, either without both parents present, um, our mm. mom's mother, um, died when she was very young. Mm. Um, and, uh, my dad being the young of three brothers but like the the baby baby of the family had a kind of a different experience um growing up than his older brothers um did um i know our our parents met when they were young um but they were when they were very young uh, mm. and um in in their reporting to us you know one of the things that, that they say is um that they just wanted our lives to be um better than what their lives had been mm. um, and encouraged us to to learn and grow as much as we could um so that we did have um each other you know as, as siblings um but also um to to be um education was was very much reinforced and strengthened in our family um that that going to school was kind of a continuing to go to school was an expectation that was a priority it was important mm-hmm. um and uh I, I i'm i i know both of them overcame some some challenging times as as young humans um and uh i think tried to just really help us to to be as resilient as we could uh but also to look at each um kind of life event or change as a learning opportunity and opportunity mm-hmm 
for growth and, and a way to, to um, uh, um, I don't know, I, I don't really know uh, how to describe it per se, mm. um, but I, I think that their commitment to us um, being a, um, an important, you know, um, individual, important individuals in their lives was, mm. was I'm sure a, a big piece of that. Um, and their commitment to uh, wanting us to have um, an, an easier, a better, whatever way you um, kind of define that life than than what they have more opportunities when, than what mm. they had. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you threw in the more opportunities because that's the only thing I was going to add on is just em an emphasis on providing us more options and opportunities than they might have had when they were growing up. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it sounds like, you know, and that's that's incredible that they were able to kind of do that because again it sounds like from uh, that that chapter Tracy that that you know you weren't a rich family growing up. No, um, no, we 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 didn't. You know, we we didn't experience you know uh, food insecurity or, or those sorts of things. Mm. But, um, you know, we were a working class family. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the the. Uh, the the recollection of bringing your own cheese to McDonald's, <laughs> that 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 was just a, a piece that kind of stood out for me. I you know I, I uh, uh, that that they you know that the, in order to kind of say they, they didn't they didn't they have didn't have much opportunity to go beyond their means. No, at the same time we went to McDonald's and that was yeah. a pretty exciting event. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. All right, let, let's. I could talk, talk a bit about some of the professional stuff, and then we'll 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 sneak back into kind of some of the personal stuff again. I think uh, in in kind of your 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 current lives. Uh, so obviously, you're both behavior analysts. So um, uh, who was who was sort of first to find ABA? That would be Tracy. All right. So so how what what's that story? How 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 did how did, how did you how did you get here? Um. Well, I was um. I was an undergraduate at Washington University in St. Louis, mm. uh, and I had uh, actually initially uh, gone to WashU to study. I, I wanted to be a neonatal surgeon. Um, clearly, mm. that that didn't work out. Alert! After a couple of transitions in in majors, I uh, settled on what would become a very expensive psychology degree. Mm. And uh, while I was pursuing that degree, I was also waiting tables. Um, at a, at that point, I think I was at Houlihan's um, in Fairview Heights, Illinois. And mm. you know, you're talking to your tables and and engaging and trying to build um, some rapport. Um, yeah. to that, that tip, right? There's some contingencies there. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of my tables asked what I was doing one summer. And I said, I don't know, taking classes, working here. And she said, well, I'm the director for the Illinois Center for Autism. Um, mm -hmm. Would you like to get some some experience? And I thought, well, yeah, sure. Um, you know, it seems like a, a good idea. So I, I checked out the opportunity and I realized I, you know, of course, didn't know anything about autism. And, and this was in, this is in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. um, so so it also um, it wasn't quite uh, the same kind of topic of conversation or as um, frequently sure. mentioned as what it is now. And started reading books and trying to learn some things. And um, in my first, you know, opportunities to volunteer there, um, I was, you know, just noticing some discrepancies between what had been written or at least what I had been exposed to in, in writing and, and the kids and learning different um, things. And um, being a, a, a first-generation college student working while I 
was mm-hmm. going through school, I knew, you know, volunteer work didn't pay the bills, but there was, you know, kind of a, a larger later reinforcer potentially there. Um, and uh, figured out some ways to um, do some independent study work so I could get some course credit um, for the volunteer work that I was doing. And shortly thereafter, received an email from um, Leonard Green, um, Dr. Green, uh, like Rack Leonard Green, <laughs> didn't know that mm. at the time. And uh, he's he sent an email um, stating that that uh, their families were looking for um, undergraduate students to do in-home behavior analytic therapy um, with children with autism and didn't really know what that was, but thought, well, look, I can do the same thing and get paid. Um, and that helps um, as you're, you're paying rent and, and other things working and going to school at the same time. And so I interviewed um, with a family um, and started doing in-home um, behavior analytic services um, for a variety of kids. Um, as a sort of an interesting arrangement that we might get into later as we talk um, about Joe's finding behavior analysis too. But really at that time, I still didn't know that behavior analysis was something you could do, something you could study. Mm. Uh, and so upon uh, finishing my very expensive psychology degree, I needed to get like a full-time job, not a part-time job. And uh, didn't know that, that, like I said, behavior analysis was something like that. So I um, started working in a community-based organization with adults um, with intellectual disabilities and chronic mental illness, a dual diagnosis. Mm. Um, and had taken a behavior mod class as, as an undergrad. That was the name of the class, behavior modification. Yep. And um, in my first full-time job, um, I kept finding myself going back to that textbook, writing contingency contracts, setting up token economies, um, various strategies from that book um, seemed to be more helpful um, for my clients in, in developing the, the lives that they wanted to have. And at the same time, um, I, I missed working with kids. Um, I, I really liked teaching kids. Um, and so I looked in what were, we had newspapers then, not online job um, postings. And so I looked in the, the newspaper and I found a position um, advertised at a public school system in St. Louis um, for an associate behavior analyst. Mm. Um, so in, in today's speak, that would be like the equivalent of the BCABA. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, applied for the position. Um, didn't hear anything back. So I did that, you know, like kept calling them, calling them, calling mm-hmm. them sort of thing to, to let them know that I was interested in the job. Yep. And uh, went in for my interview and they asked me this question. They said, um, what are the four functions of behavior? And I, I had no idea. I had one right. class. Like nobody told me that that behavior analysis was something that you could study. And yeah, and so- yeah. I'm never going to get this job. But I'm like, no, pause, like, let's think through it. Um, what are the reasons that kids do things? And so I, I the first one that came to me was, um, you know, I didn't like cleaning my room. So my mom told me to clean my room, I would find other things to do. So uh, the the first response that came out was, um, well, kids do things to get out of stuff. And I was so fortunate in this interview, because one of um, uh, uh, our colleagues now um, got very excited when I said that answer. And she started nodding her head. Mm. So sensitive enough to contingencies from waiting tables and bartending that I knew that I had one out of four. So, so I kept thinking through and I thought, okay, well, um, you know, kids do things to get attention. And, and at this point, our, our colleague is like nodding her head even more emphatically. And I'm getting excited because I'm like, I'm halfway there. Like, I'm going to get this job. I can do this. Let me just through. There's yeah. two more. Um, and I thought, you know, the, you know, traditional example of, you know, well, kids do things to get things when they want something, mm. um, you know, they, and, and, and at this point, our colleague's like halfway out of her chair, like super excited. And I'm like three out of four. I'm so close. And oh, wow. I, 
can't think of the fourth one for for the life of me. I, was no. like, I don't actually know. I said, I guess kids do things um, because they want to. And she jumped out of her chair and said, automatic reinforcement. And I was like, I got this job. Um, so so here I am, 22 years old, um, as an associate behavior analyst. Mm. I think I have 22 kids on my caseload in 20 different locations, 25 staff working um, with me. And I had no idea <laughs> what I was doing. I was terrified. I, I sat in a cubicle for two weeks reading uh, Sunberg and Partington, um, hoping that I would learn something um, that that I that would help me um, uh, to figure out how to do this job. Um, well, it, you know, we, it, I've I've had a lot of uh, opportunities to be fortunate in, in being mentored by many amazing behavior analysts. Mm-hmm. And um, at this public school system, it was unique in the sense that they had a department of behavior analysis. Um, and so they had several highly trained master's level behavior analysts who had worked with um, uh, the, the likes of Sigurd Glenn, Ray Miltenberger, Brian mm-hmm. Iwana really just had a, a diverse group of, of folks with with really um, uh, great um, uh, pedigrees in behavior analysis. Mm. And uh, one of them said to me, they said, well, hey, um, let's go see some kids. And I'm like, thank goodness, because sitting in this cubicle and reading all the time was getting a li- not really what I had signed up to do. Mm. Um, and uh, that behavior analyst um, happened to have come from the University of North Texas, which will be mm. later um, in both of our, our stories. And uh, he taught me about shaping and token economies and fluency-based instruction, and and I was hooked. Um, A little bit uh, into that job, um, we also were presented with an opportunity to start a master's in in psychology and behavior analysis through the University of Nevada, Reno, um, Mm. one of the early satellite programs. So I think for me, that's when it all kind of started to gel together. Um, Mm. I I took that position as an associate behavior analyst, um, had the opportunity to to work with some really skilled um, folks there. And uh, to start the master's program simultaneously while holding that position. Mm. That's sort of my early, early steps. I, I, lo- I love the, the interview story because I mean, can you imagine today trying to hire behavior, an- behavior analysts and the only question they'd answer is what's the function, what, what are functions? Well, there, um, there, there were other questions too. That's the one that just really like stands yeah, out. As I, I said that, I, I think yeah. that there were. As, as, yeah, but, there, there were definitely other questions, but that one, like I remember not knowing the answer and I remember how, you know, each one of my approximations, if you will, um, yes. were, were reinforced. So, well, I think, and I think it's just more the, the, the excitement of the interviewer that you could answer those four questions. Well, I don't know that I would say I knew the answers per se. I think, um, you know, I think at, at that time and, mm-hmm. and in many cases still, our, our science is, is very much about problem solving and yeah. basic principles and, and strategies and tactics features um, mm. that have come through. We're, we're less procedurally based and more. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to enter the three secret words at www.cbiconsultants.com forward slash shop. The first secret word is Sandy, S-A-N-D-I. Are, um, um, really kind of working in the moment and doing the analyses as they came. And so I, perhaps, um, and, and I should ask Tammy someday, um, mm. if she she may not even remember it as, as well, <laughs> perhaps, but, um, you know, I, I think it was is also being able to think through those answers. It wasn't something that we had memorized as a script um, at, at that time. And so being able to think about the potential contingencies, even though I wasn't calling them that at that time, mm. was, 
was probably what was uh, particularly exciting um, mm-hmm. about how my responses um, uh, worked in my favor, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so Joe, how, how about you? How, how, how did you find behavior analysis? Did, 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 did you, did you see Tracy's book sitting on the shelf or? <laughs> well, Tracy, we... Tracy was involved, but I had, uh, I think a, a less direct path. I feel like mm. Tracy's makes sense to me when I hear it. Uh, mm. and it's a, it's a wonderful like way in. Uh, and mm. I feel like, tra- although it, I don't want to characterize it as this, but I feel like Tracy strolled into it and I kind of stumbled into it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though it wasn't, Tracy's yeah. wasn't a stroll by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, but so our, our family, like Tracy said, emphasized education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I graduated high school in 2000 and I knew I had to go to college. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I had to go to college. Our, right. our dad has been in the IT industry for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. So I'd been around computers and IT as long as I can remember. And that's where most of my experience and interests were. So I was like, well, if I got to go to college, I'm going to do computer science because that's right. a comfort zone for me and I'm interested yeah. in it and whatnot. So I enrolled in, in an undergrad program as soon as I graduated high school uh, for mm-hmm. computer science. I made it to the second semester, halfway mm-hmm. through the second semester and just stopped going to classes because mm-hmm. uh, I had re- I had this epiphany that I just don't want to sit behind a desk for the rest of my life. Well, and here I am sitting behind a computer for a lot of my, the hours of my day mm-hmm. now. But mm-hmm. like, I, I, that's not for me. I don't want to do it. I don't want to sit behind a desk. Uh, and so I just stopped going to school, got put on academic probation. Uh, hmm. and while I was going to school, I was also working at the same time. I also worked at Hula Hands in Fairview Heights. Hmm. Uh, I started as a host, uh, and worked my way into every position there until it was like, Joe, you either got to do management or do something else. Cause we can't hmm. continue to pay you to do the things you're doing, uh, when other people can do them for us uh, that have less experience. And mm-hmm. so I was getting burnt out in the restaurant industry. I dropped out of school. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I called Tracy and I remember exactly where I was outside of Hula Hands, calling Tracy, venting about being irritated with the restaurant industry, the hours that I had to work, all of those things. And she goes, well, mm-hmm. you want to come see what we're doing at special school district? Like we have positions open. And my que- I, my only question was, well, what are the hours? And she goes, Monday through Friday, nine to five. And I go, I'm in. Sign nice. me up. She's, she's like, well, do you want to see maybe what we do before you commit to this? And I'm like, sure. And it was summer. And so they were in summer school. And I came out and I went to a school on a Friday. And it was a water day. Oh, that's uh, happening fun Fridays. Yeah, it was, it was a fun Friday and there was like water balloons and whatnot. So I, I was sitting back and observing these kids and these staff having a fun water day. Yeah. Uh, and I remember Tracy saying, like, you can go and interact with the kids and stuff if you want to. And I was like, OK. So I went and played with the kids having water balloon fights and whatnot. And then I was like, you're going to pay me to to do like that was my mindset at the time. Like, you're going to pay me to play with kids like. And I don't have to work weekends or up until <laughs> three o'clock in the morning closing a bar. Like, let's do this. Wow. I'm game. Uh, so I went I went through the hiring process and I went through the training and whatnot. And I, I found myself in in schools uh, 
working as it at that point in time, we were called ABA therapists. Yep. Uh, and I think that was a, a rather grand name for me at that point in time, because I had sure. no, no real idea what I was doing. Yeah. Uh, but I got to be around a whole bunch of wonderful behavior analysts at the time. And I got wonderful clinical training because I was working with some of the same people that Tracy was, was working with when she started. Uh, but at that point in time, I think the field had progressed a little bit, special school district had progressed a little bit, the behavior analysis department had progressed a little bit. Because uh, I think when I came on, Tracy, you were at UNR already. Is that yeah, right? Or you were? Think so. I don't remember what year you came on there. I was I was at um I was in that position from 2001 to 2004. Um, so at whatever point you came in there, I had started the master's. Oh gosh, it must have been fall of 2000. Two, 2002, 2003, 2003, 2000. No, it must have been fall of 2001 that I started the master's. Mm. Okay. So that makes, because I remember having my 21st birthday at one of the schools. Um, mm. So it had to be around, let's see, 82, is that 2002? Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm aging myself now. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But wait, I don't think I yeah. said how many years are between us. So, so, <laughs> so we're going to have to do some math to find out our, our age. Yeah. So, but I started at special school district and I was getting training on how to apply what Tracy was saying, uh, how to, how to problem solve, how to identify what kids were doing, why they were doing it and, and how to uh, improve their lives and help them function more independently within the, the school setting. Hmm. I didn't know it was behavior analysis. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was applied behavior analysis. I didn't know it was interventions or procedures based on the science that we have. Sure. I just saw this thing that was doing wonderful things for the kids that I were working with. Mm -hmm. uh, and at that point in time, it was, we had the, the BCBA or the behavior analyst at the time. I didn't even think many Wait, people yeah. had their BCBAs. Mm -hmm. No, the BCBA had just uh, come, had just recently come to, to fruition. And so I got mine in 2004 and I think my number is like 2000 something. So yeah, like it was, like it was around 98 when they first kind of, Mm -hmm. came, came in and then yeah so anyway yeah yeah so, but yeah, the, the, the wasn't really a thing then yeah no not at all but we had the behavior analyst and we had the aba therapist and then we had mm -hmm. the special education teacher and the tas uh and there were some philosophical differences in some of the classrooms that we were in as to the best approach for the kids uh, which was interesting to me at the time because I was like, aren't we just here to help these kids? Why why isn't everyone meshing so nicely together and working mm. so well? Again, I had no idea about behavior analysis and some of the assumptions that were around at the time with behavior analysis. Sure. But I was curious as to why that was happening. So I decided to go back to school uh, to get my undergrad in special education because I was getting the clinical training in behavior analysis. So I was curious on what's going on on the special education side, which is right. weird because I didn't want to be a special education teacher. It was just I want to know where, where they're coming from. Right. And at that point. Okay. Well, I just I think yeah. that the structure of how things work for us in that early experience with special school district is is telling because I ended up also studying education and behavior analysis for for similar reasons. Hmm. It was a parallel structure. So as Joe mentions, like the the associate behavior analyst or the position that that I had been in was sort of parallel to the special education classroom teacher, hmm. the master 
behavior analysts, we're at a parallel position to the special education area coordinators, sure. and then we had two sets of paraprofessionals. Um, and so that was a very interesting sort of dynamic where we we learned how to work multi and interdisciplinarily with a number of different other related service providers and things. Um, but there was always this kind of like back and forth between, well, you're a behavior analyst, what do you know about teaching? Um, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Oh, but we actually know a lot about teaching. We study mm-hmm. learning, um, but you're not a teacher. And so, so that dynamic, I think, as as Joe mentioned, was was influential um, for him in particular, but also for for me later on in, in my studies. Sorry, Joe. Yeah. No, no, that that's that's a wonderful addition. And there were some classrooms where that that parallel structure worked beautifully, and everybody meshed mm. so nicely together. And those are the classrooms that you just like want to stay in. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there were the classrooms that it's like this. There, there's budding heads happening here, and the kids are the ones who who aren't benefiting from this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's really to their detriment. So that's what those classrooms are the ones that inspired me to go to. It was Fontaine University in St. Louis, and that was the feeder school district for lots of special education teachers in in special school districts. So I was like, I'm going to go to the root of this. I'm going to see what's mm-hmm. going on, get my education here. And I remember my very first class. It was classroom behavior management. And we were sitting in this really small conference room because it was classes that were happening at night because it was for, you know, working adults. And we were doing introductions, like everybody hates to do those student introductions <laughs> in classrooms, right? Uh, and I knew I wasn't going to say I was an ABA therapist because I knew I was going to sway people's view of me. Mm. Uh, and so I just said, I worked in a classroom at this school uh, and just kind of moved on. Nice. And during a break, the teacher came to me and she's like, wait, what school are you in? Whose classroom are you in? She's like, oh, you're an ABA therapist. And I was like, yes, you know, cat's out of the bag. I'm an ABA therapist. And we come back from the break and behavior analysis gets brought up. And she's going to to talk about it to everybody and says, but that only works on a one-on-one basis. It doesn't really work in a group setting. And turns mm. to me and goes, isn't that right, Joe? <laughs> the expert and I, and, and I think the only hearing Tracy's story about the interview I didn't know a lot about behavior analysis I just knew what I had had learned to implement and learn to do mm-hmm. so it was like do I just say yeah you're right teacher and not really have this argument because I don't know that I'm equipped to have this argument mm-hmm. uh here so but I knew that wasn't my experience and that's essentially all I said was you know, that hasn't been my experience. And then we had a couple back and forth and the teacher goes, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree and moved wow. on. I was like, I started to see why there were some cracks uh, in the foundation of what we were all trying to work within that special mm. school district. Uh, so, and then after that, I knew I didn't want to be a special education teacher. I got to learn <laughs> about university in North University of North Texas through a lot of the behavior analysts that were at special school districts as, as well as, as Tracy's influence in university of North Texas and went there for my master's degree because I wanted to learn more about the science. So, uh, that's kind of, so I always joke that I got to the field to have weekends off, uh, and that's not necessarily the case anymore, <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, well, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, though. I mean, uh, uh, and, and and you know, it seems like maybe that this is be a, a good recruiting ta- tactic for folks that are sort of looking to, you know, help sort of RBTs or folks that, you know, help help increase the RBT pool or whatnot. Let's go go into these um, into these, uh, you know, uh, nightclubs and whatnot. Do, do do the I mean, I have no experience at all. We, we also did a lot of recruiting in restaurants, um, especially yeah. 
working in St. Louis because we had, um, you know, the way the, the district was set up is that special school district um, did all of the special education services for the entire St. Louis County mm -hmm. region with with um, uh, uh, folks homeschools and, and other local education authorities and so we had a, you know a, a pretty extensive group of folks there and, and a pretty extensive caseload across all of the individuals in the department and so we were constantly recruiting um, from local universities and colleges um, and uh, uh, if I guess maybe my history in the restaurant industry also mm. made me um, kind of sensitive to folks that were sensitive to the environment around them and how their behavior affected other people's behavior. Mm. And so we we used to um, kind of watch our wait staff and then talk to them about what they were doing. And if they ever said they were, you know, a psychology major, an education major, mm. or majors, great. Um, and and if we noticed some some various things, like they would refill our drinks before they were empty or pick mm. up a napkin that they walked over, you know, on the, that other folks might have just walked over or took your plates away mm. as they were um empty that we thought well there's there's a little bit of behavior we can shape there mm -hmm. um and maybe we can find kind of a common reinforcer um um in that they might want to get some you know hands-on experience um that that might help them you know move their careers in in different directions and support some kids um mm -hmm. while they were at it so and at the time did uh and I, and and maybe even the, I don't know if this, the question would be this answer would be the same today, but at the time, did uh, did the ABA therapist job pay more than working in the restaurant? I think absolutely not. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I that's the restaurant industry was wonderful to me, and mm. I don't want to take anything away from that. Yeah. I just gotten tired of the hours, but yeah. no, it it if you could put up with the hours, uh, it was it's a wonderful job and it pays well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, it, if behavior analysis didn't work out for me, I would go right back into the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. And I might be better at it now because I have a better understanding of why we do what we do. Uh, yeah. But you know. Yeah, well, and I think a lot of the, the folks who came in, um, you know, under that sort of set of contingencies, like Joe did, and some of the other folks who recruited over time, they would still maintain some, you know, weekends bartending or waiting tables sure. or whatever it might be, and then pick up um, some part-time hours with kids in between classes or that sort of thing. So a lot of folks would would juggle both uh, responsibilities for a while still. Yeah, the bar work probably paid for school, and then the, the ABA therapist work help them, you know, with the, with the skills or whatnot. Well, I don't know that either of them paid for school. <laughs> they paid for rent and a sufficient amount of ramen noodles for us. To, to, to those yeah, degrees. I'm still paying for school now. So I don't <laughs> fair, right. fair. You know, uh, it'd be interesting maybe one day to go back to Hands and, uh, and, you know, maybe offer, offer, offer a bit of OBM to them or whatnot. I, I, I sort of, I'm just yeah, imagining. I have no interest in going back to that restaurant. <laughs> 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 I'm just imagining, uh, it just reminds me of uh, some of the work uh, Josh Pritchard was doing because he, he owned a, a pizza place and I think he had a bar or two down in Florida and he was doing a lot of a lot of kind of that work at the same time while he was being a professor and so on and so forth. Um, so, yeah, kind of interesting. Um, and also, so, so just what was kind of, uh, it's, it's interesting that the collaboration piece and sort of the the perspectives of special ed teachers versus versus ABA. I mean, still today, this, this seems to be, you know, one of the, one of the big sort of barriers of, of working in schools for behavior analysts is, is that, uh, you know, um, you know, even, you know, 25 years later, 
um, there's still a good chunk of teachers don't have a clue who we are um, and, uh, and and what, you know, what behavior analysis is and probably still have, make sort of these assumptions about ABA, you know, being, you know, the, you know, the, the, uh, the table, you know, at the table, one-to-one -one kind of thing. Like I still hear that today. And, and so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting just that, you know, that 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 piece in, doesn't seem to have changed a lot over 25 years. Certainly, there are more behavior analysts in schools now. We're seeing that more and more. But still, it's 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 um, yeah, you know, at least in my experience, when you go into these schools, it's it's uh, you know, these other professionals just still seem to have a lot more clout. Um, I don't know if that's a question, but it's just it's it's just interesting that 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 they, so your experiences in in 1998. Are not a lot lot different than people's experiences right now. I think, uh, in some ways, that's that's accurate. I think in other ways, it's it's not. Um, mm. You know, one of the the things in in our early experiences is that like folks didn't have a, a direct career path in behavior analysis, and mm. so we we certainly were working, um, and we had the the opportunity to experience firsthand some really incredible um, uh, applied behavior analysis and practice. Um, at, at the same time, um, it, it wasn't uh, uh, the same. It was it, you fell in love with the science um, mm -hmm. and and the range of applications it could have. Um, the the idea that 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 human behavior um, is is in large part um, the reason why we have many of the social challenges that we have now, um, we were, at least for me, I was immediately exposed to JAB and Java at the same time. It was never subscribed to one, but not to the other. There was no mm. behavior analysis in practice. Mm. Uh, there weren't as many commercially available, you know, curriculum assessments. Mm. Uh, and, and so it really was a, a matter of, of falling in love with the science and not really knowing what direction we were necessarily going to, to go with it. Um, you know, I think Joe had a more, um, um, uh, I don't know, uh, I don't linear maybe route into a master's or a direct path um, where, where, you know, I was asked, do you want to get your master's in behavior analysis? And I was like, well, I'm not really doing anything else. What, when does it start? And they were like next mm. week. And I was like, okay. Um, and, and all of a sudden I found myself like living, eating and breathing and sleeping behavior analysis, mm. both in what I was learning in my classes and what I was doing full time as a, as a, for work. Um, and, and that dynamic of, we were, I think, as Joe mentioned, some classrooms were were kind of strategically organized in a way that were um, incredibly collaborative, um, where there were were opportunities to really blur the lines between special education and behavior analysis, and and really find um, the the strengths that could um, you know be. Uh, that could transpire when when everybody worked together um, toward the same objectives and goals. We had a lot of parent involvement. We had a lot of involvement from speech language pathologists, from occupational therapists, music therapists, um, general education classroom teachers, special education classroom teachers, and behavior analysis, and really working together toward um, what are all the the things that each of these various disciplines and and um, persons involved um, in the child's life can bring together to to make the program. Um, 
the the best possible situation for for the child hmm. um, and and there were those tensions right and and there weren't necessarily many departments of behavior analysis at that time Joe and I are, have both been very fortunate in in our, our training early training experiences and educational opportunities with his master's at the University of North Texas mine from the University of Nevada Reno um, and and being in environments um, where where folks have have really emphasized the generality of the science from the experimental analysis to behavior to apply behavior analysis to theory and philosophy yeah. um, and having a real kind of well-rounded um, uh, education and experience. Sorry, I kind yeah. of went on a, a tangent there. That's it's a, a wonderful one. tangent. It, well, and that's why I ended up at University of North Texas because I, there were so many people doing so much great work there outside of the autism field as well as in the autism field. Uh, and I knew I needed that experience and I knew I wanted a, a better understanding of the science more generally and the application of the science more generally. Uh, so that's what really attracted me to the UNT. Uh, and so I, I, it's funny, I went to UNT to try to get out of the, the autism intervention mm. world. Uh, and it, it continued to pull, pull at me and pull at me and pull at me. Uh, and as, as you said, when we started, like I'm still in that area today. And I think part of it is because I feel like our work there isn't done yet and we can still continue to do great things there. And we need to make some improvements uh, in, in terms of access and quality. So mm. I, it continues to pull at me. But at, it, at my heart, I'm a generalist. Uh, and so when I when I teach at Indicat uh, in the PhD program, I focus on behavior analysis as, as a general science and the general application of it uh, outside of just that area. So I'm still able to scratch that itch, so to speak. But uh, yeah, it absolutely continues to pull at me. But yeah, that's that's what pulled me into to UNT for my master's. So why, why were you looking to pull away from from autism? Because I knew I needed more experience because uh, I knew because uh, in just my limited experience on the clinical side, I, and I got a lot on the conceptual side too, probably more than I, I give credit to for my time at special school district. Mm. Uh, but uh, I knew that there was more and I knew that the science was bigger than what we were using it for. Mm -hmm. uh, and there were there's many more things that our science could do. Uh, and so I I knew I needed to learn more. Uh, and if I were to stay just in that area, I was concerned that it was going to limit my knowledge of the science. Uh, and so that's why I kind of wanted to get away uh, to broaden my understanding, to, to broaden my knowledge, especially from the conceptual and the theoretical side. Uh, so since most of my experience was with application and application mm. with a very particular population. Mm. It I think that experience is kind of common to both of us because when I went to uh, to Ohio State for my PhD, I also wanted to gain experience in working with other populations as, as well as to to um, uh, pick up my teacher certification so that I could speak, kind of be bilingual, if you will, in, in speaking both education ease and behavior ease. Mm. Um, and uh, uh, one of the the first things that I, I sought out were opportunities to work with um, kids with a variety of different um, uh, learning needs. And mm. Um, ended up, that's also how I ended up uh, learning more about reading instruction and things too. Um, but, but I think for, for both of us, that was instilled really early on in our early experiences and mentorships that, um, you know, behavior is a, a big part of a lot of things and, and therefore the, you know, understanding of the basic concepts and principles and behavior analysis, um, allows us access to understand a wide variety of phenomena once we also develop, um, you know, some, some content related knowledge as well. Mm. 
So, Joe, Joe, so what was it about uh, about UNT? Why UNT? Oh, I mean, more so than what I've already said. I, mm. I mean, uh, I think it's it's interesting. My recollection of how I ended up at UNT might differ from Tracy's recollection because Tracy was in the process of applying to teach at UNT. I was already there for a year before You're, you. Then. Okay, so okay. I, I mean, mm. at, at that point in time, like, so that's that's where there's there's discrepancies in in my uh, memory there. Mm. Um, but I was applying to UNT, uh, and I didn't really know Tracy's involvement at UNT until I started the application process mm. and realized that Tracy couldn't be involved in the application process because I was applying to UNT, and that's where I was like, oh, uh... we're we're both going to end up in the same place, hopefully. Uh, hmm. At least because I think both of us wanted to end up there for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for for me, I think, like Tracy said, a lot of I mean, one of my main mentors outside of of Tracy at special school district was Guy Bedian, Uh And he went to UNT. Uh, mm. And I remember looking at the wall of uh, the bookshelf that had all the theses and, and, and seeing his name there when I when I got accepted. Uh, and so that was a wonderful moment for me. But so I knew about UNT from that, uh, at least a little bit. Uh, and so in looking at it and at the program and who was there at the time, like I said, there were so many people doing so many different things at the time, in addition to autism, but even outside of autism. Uh, so I was really interested in, in working with Manish Veja. And uh, at that point in time, it wasn't necessarily the human operant lab, but while I was there, it turned into the human operant lab, but there was a lot of work mm. happening with pigeons. Uh, and mm. that really interested me. Uh, Rick Smith, who was a student of, of Brian Iwata, uh, was working at, at that point in time, Benton State Supportive Living Center, uh, doing function, experimental functional analyses for some severe mm. problem behavior for a different population that I'm used to. Uh, I had never worked with adults before uh, and adults with various uh, intellectual and developmental disabilities. So I was interested in getting all of that type of experience and trying to understand the science from a more conceptual theoretical perspective and less about the application. Um, So yeah, really what attracted me there was the generality that was possible for me in my education about behavior analysis. And, and, Guy, so Guy Bedian, just just wondering, sort of how 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 he became a mentor to you. Was that through the connection of 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 of, of Tracy, or was that well, just a coincidence? Or if 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 you recall, when I was telling my story about starting a special school district and hiding in the mm-hmm. cubicle, um, Guy was the one who who took me out um, and taught me about fluency based instruction, token economy, uh... being. Um, I, I mean, he was. Uh, I can still remember. Um, you know, the first time I taught a child to say their first word Mm. um a guy was there and he said all right you're going to teach this kid to say their first word and you're you're going to do it without prompting Mm -hmm. um basically um (laughs) you you know you can talk um Mm -hmm. of course but but you have to use shaping to to get the initial Mm -hmm. sounds and with two Mm -hmm. hours within two hours i I taught this uh child to say poo it was in the context of winnie the poo but i always joke the the first word i thought i could (laughs) not say was poo um and uh you know so so i think and 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 he was you know 
particularly um, um, he talked spoke particularly favorably about his time at, at the University of North Texas and mm. and as we were interacting with other uh, behavior analysts and becoming more immersed in in the community through at then at that point it was just the Association for Behavior Analysis the ABA conferences um, you know seeing that that UNT produced some really phenomenal behavior analysts um, that they were were well skilled they were well rounded mm. in their knowledge of the science conceptual theory had worked in a, a variety of applications thereof um and and we're we're really just quality folks and and that was something that early on I think for for both me and Joe we knew UNT was was an important place to be um mm. I met Sarah Glenn in in 2002 I think um and and knew in that moment that, that she was sort of like my my uh you know behavior analysis idol or something I don't know mm. right like I, <laughs> if I could be like anyone in behavior analysis who would it be um and and that's you know who it was so I think mm. both of us um you know had had um uh, really, you know, um, um, favorable thoughts about about the program at UNT, the faculty there, and and mm. what kinds of students they produced. Yeah, yeah. The second secret word is Endicott. What made you want to want want to teach at UNT, uh, Tracy? No, well, uh, so um, while I was at Ohio State, um, you know, I was dabbling in some some diverse areas, but my PhD is in special education and applied mm. behavior analysis. And that program is um, another legacy program, um, particularly influential in um, teaching teachers of future teachers. Um, mm. right? and, and we're learning about behavior analysis. We're learning about special education. We're also learning about being uh, effective instructors at, at, at the university level. And so um, my advisor there was Nancy Neef. And, and she and I remember going back and forth. I, I was going to start a school. Um, and she said, no, Tracy, you need to go teach. And I said, mm -hmm. no, Nancy, I need to go start a school. That's, that's really what I wanted to do. You know, I just wanted to learn mm -hmm. more coming here before I went to do that. And she said, but Tracy, you're really good at teaching. And I said, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you should do it. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> but I, I, I appeased her and I applied for, for multiple positions, some faculty positions mm -hmm. and some clinical um, positions. And um Life happens um, uh, during my last year at Ohio State while I was job searching and completing my my dissertation is when Guy passed away. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, that sort of uh, uh, shifts your, your perspective on things. And mm. I, in, in looking for jobs, um, not only did I want, um, you know, a job that I would be comfortable and felt skilled at, at doing, I also wanted to be with a, a good group of folks. I needed a strong support system and community still um, in, in that year and had sure. Um, it had a, a, a number of different offers, but but sort of knew um, the the day I was leaving my interview at the Chicago School um, in on the Chicago campus uh, then that that I wanted to take that job. And I remember calling Nancy and saying, "This this is this is the one. Um, you, you're you're going to be happy because it's a professor position, um, and I'm happy because it's a supportive community. It's close to home. Um, mm. It's a one year commitment, not a tenure track. So I don't have to decide that I want to do this for the rest of my life." Mm. Um, so, so I was at the Chicago school um, for two years before I saw there was a, a position posting at the University of North Texas, um, and and a couple of things happened. I was at a, a MABA conference, um, and I think Manish was the one who told me that that UNT was going to be hiring. And I looked, and I was like, UNT doesn't 
higher. Um, mm. it, it's like people go there and they, well, at, at that time, people go there and they, they just never left until they retired or, or moved on. And so it's like, they, they're not going to hire. Um, and, and then there really was a position when was, was right. Um, <laughs> faculty there he should have been um and uh, I thought well I I, I guess um you know I'll I, I'm kind of liking this professor thing um the Chicago school is a, a tough place to work I taught seven classes a semester I was advising um 10 thesis students every semester I also ran a, a clinical practice um mm. on on the weekends and so it was a I think wow. I put more all-nighters at the Chicago school than I did in my entire graduate school career so I thought you know well UNT's hiring it's one of the best places um if, if you want to mm. be a analyst one of the best places to study so so let's see what happens um and I didn't think they would ever hire me um I I did get an interview though so I thought well this is this is good and I like interview stories um so I'll tell another one mm. um I was so nervous um uh flying to UNT for my interview um my plane got rerouted to Austin um it, it couldn't land in Denton and this was before Jesus had a cell phone and Jesus Rosales Ruiz was picking me up from the airport so I didn't know what to do because I didn't know how to, to get a hold of them. So I contacted the department administrative assistant at the time, Ruth Cross. And I said, Ruth, I don't know what to do. Like, I'm in Austin. I'm supposed to be in Denton. Um, and she said, well, I don't know what to do either. Jesus doesn't have a cell phone. He left hours ago. And I'm like, oh, great. Um, so finally, I get to Denton. My contact ripped um, while I was on the flight. And so I couldn't see anything out of one eye. Um, mm. And uh, finally found Jesus and um and uh, we went to dinner and um, then I, you know, stayed up all night, um, uh, worried about the next day, walked into the conference room and I looked around and there's Dr. Janet Ellis, Dr. Sigurd Glenn, um, Shalala Rosales, Ruiz, mm. like, everybody was there, like everybody we had been learning about and reading their papers and, and, and that sort of thing was, was there and, and um, particularly nervous, uh, not sure what happened in those first moments about halfway mm. through the day. I was on a tour of the campus with Dr. Dan and Ellis and Sigurd Glenn. And I, in that moment, somehow I just sort of relaxed and I went, you know what, mm. this is the best behavior analysis day ever. Who gets to go <laughs> on our tour of the campus at the University of North Texas with Janet and Sigrid? Wow. Um, me. Um, so, so even if I don't get this job, like I'm completely happy with this experience. Mm. Um, I guess I did okay with the rest of the interview because I spent um, the last 13 years there before I left uh, just last fall. Mm. Um, so, so I think it was, um, you know, some, some of the early uh, experiences that we had with, with learning about what happened at UNT and who the folks were in my early interactions with Sigrid, of course, mm -hmm. um, it, looking at sort of the, the way in which we were doing uh, work with children with autism, um, you know, a lot of of that was inspired from from Shala and Jesus and and their work that they were doing and so being in a space where I thought I was going to be able to expand my own um, understanding of the science and its applications was important to me then and and that I I did enjoy teaching after all Nancy was right um, hmm. and it had been time for me to look for for a tenure track position and and UNT happened to have one and, hmm. and picked me for for a little while. So you shift directions, uh, Joe. Felt mm -hmm. autism pulling on him and 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 answered that call and and you know is now you know at probably one of the one of the biggest sort of autism focused research uh, you know uh, centers maybe in the world um, um, doing that, doing some doing some really cool stuff. What made made you which we'll get into in a second. What made you uh, kind of pull out of autism because you, you it seems like your work is 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 a whole bunch of other different places now. 
Yeah, I think Joe used the word generalist earlier. I, yeah. I, I, I um, quite similarly. I, I, I don't know that there was one, you know, one thing in particular. I've always been uh, curious about um, the the possibilities of the science. Um, it wasn't, you know, as I mentioned before, raised in in a way that there was one, you know, kind of clear path into employment. It was always the sort of open, um, open, you know, field. We we could go into to many different um, mm. areas. We just, you know, we're, we're creative enough to make those possibilities possible. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and so there are a variety of different dynamics. I had, um, you know, developed a, a strong interest in teaching reading um, while I was at Ohio State and mm -hmm. had the opportunity coming in uh, pretty quickly at UNT to run an after-school program for kids who are at risk for school failure. Um, so I was able to continue some of that work, being cross-trained in behavior analysis and education shortly thereafter. Um, I picked up uh, Sigrid's old uh, TATF system, which uh, we renamed as the Teaching Science Lab, um, mm -hmm. and I, I coordinated that for 10 years. And um, I think... Um, the, you know, those two, those two early labs, I was still doing work with uh, children with autism. I think, Joe, you were part of that lab for a little while, the data lab. Um, and so I had a, a, several things kind of happening at, at once um, and had some opportunities to work and study abroad. I, I talk about all of this also, the, the other chapter I have in the Women in Behavior Science book um, on mm. expanding um, kind of talks about um, how I started to work in more diverse areas. But I think mm. It, sort of the way I, I describe it is I chase shiny things when there, there's something that that's interesting and I want to figure it out. Um, I'm going to figure out a way to, to start working, you know, a little bit more in that area. Um, but also, um, you know, have a particularly kind of ecologically focused um, training through education and our early exposures to behavior analysis and, and thinking about it from a systems perspective mm. um, and, and then having the opportunity to kind of build systems, um, systems of instruction, um, but also systems of, of instruction for instruction in the, mm. in the teaching science lab where we're, you know, behavior analysts using behavior analysis to teach behavior analysis. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, and all of that, I think tended to also start looking more at what the systems level contingencies were um, and how those can expand or restrict opportunities for other contingencies to occur. Um, and, and seeing the potential for the science to move in those ways. Also being at UNT, you know, as a, the home of Sigurd's first culture lab, the cultural analysis mm. lab. Um, and when we had to close the teaching science lab, um, I thought, well, you know what, this is a time um, to, to get that work moving again, and then happened into some very fortunate spaces with Sigurd's mentorship, also Mark Mantini's mentorship, and, and the other book that I have on cultural and community perspective, or cultural and community, um, behavior science perspectives and cultural community. I think I never remember my book titles. Mm. Um, and uh, so, so really having kind of the the opportunity, UNT was a, a program that, that allowed some of that flexibility. You have to mm. you your things to get promotion and tenure, um, and and some of my work in in precision teaching and um, verbal behavior um, were really nice routes to that. And then I still had you know the opportunity to kind of play in in some other directions. So I think I've been fortunate in the spaces that I've been in and the collaborations and the mentorships that I've had that that allow me to kind of move and work in in diverse areas. Mm. And 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 a lot of oh, well, you and T Joe did, did did you have a did you actually take any classes with Tracy? I sure did. I I, I sure did. Well, and and I'll answer that question. But uh, as Tracy's been telling these stories, it it's mm. made me reflect just a little bit more. Mm, sure. Um, yeah. 
that I mean, obviously, I wouldn't be in this field without Tracy. Mm. But I also don't know that I would have the repertoire that I have without Tracy, because mm. as she was going through her path uh, and being around all of these amazing behavior analysts, mm -hmm. um, right, the, the Sigrid Glens, the, the Shalas, uh, I got to be in proximity of that simply mm -hmm. because I was also I was earlier in my career in, in, sure. in behavior analysis and Tracy was further along. And so when we were at a conference together, Tracy was around those people. So I got to be around those people by proximity and I probably wouldn't have been able to do that otherwise. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of got to get some of that education just by proxy uh, a little bit. Uh, and so, well, it was like her colleagues were, you know, I was standing in awe of right. um, and simply because they were her colleagues and I was able to be around because I was her brother. So I just yeah. wanted to throw that out there. Um, but yeah, I, I took autism from Tracy. I think mm. that was the only class I had with you at UNT. Uh, and I, I remember like, how is this going to work? What's what's mm -hmm. going to happen? And I had worked for her for a long time at special school district. So it wasn't like it wasn't new. Uh, mm. like we had worked together at Houlihan's for a little bit, although mm. I, not, not as much as we did at special school district, but mm. she was my, my boss at special school district. So we had that experience. We had that relationship. So this was just kind of a shift into professor student, but it, it was a, a little bit like, how's this going to work? And there is, you know, an independent grader and all of that type of stuff. And I think the only reason that I was thankful for an independent grader is because I think oftentimes when there's these types of relationships, people think that they're going to go easier on you. Yes. And I think that's not the case. Uh, I think it's, they go harder on you because there's higher expectations for you because of that relationship. So uh, not that that, you know, it affected us or anything like that, but uh, I was definitely thankful for that independent grader. Um, but I also got a bunch of wonderful feedback from her and I pass that feedback on if anybody takes any of my classes, they get better at APA formatting simply because Tracy may be better at APA formatting in that autism class. Yeah. We, we have to think that all the way back to Nancy Neath because she made me great at APA formatting before. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but no, the independent grader, I think, was a, a an important um, protection um, for, for both of us, really. Mm -hmm. And so we had to, you know, kind of think through some of those dynamics as as courses that I was instructed record for came up that were part of Joe's degree program. Um, the I think the other class that I was teaching at the master's level at the time was ethics. And there's some conversation mm -hmm. about what was Joe going to do for ethics. I'm like, I can't teach Joe ethics. Like, like we, we have found ways to, you know, kind of work through and put protections in place but ethics like how am I supposed to stand up there and talk about dual relationships in the classroom like that's just sort of awkward and I'm not sure that, mm -hmm. that that's appropriate mm -hmm. um and so in some ways I feel bad because Joe didn't get the same kind of experience um but we did cultivate I think what was a good experience and you did sit in on the last couple of classes where where I did some project-based work and and so I don't know if you know this side of that story, but please don't feel bad for how that worked out. Because because I the way UNT worked is I still needed that class. I needed three ethics credits to be able to graduate. Mm. Uh, and so for me to get those ethics credits, I essentially took uh, an online the online version of the ethics program because they were building the behavior analysis online uh, program at UNT while I was there. So I took the ethics class that was available through there, and it was an asynchronous class. And as I was working through that, I also took a two-hour special, uh, uh, I, I forget the exact name, but it was like a special problems type course with Shala. 
and so every week I got to sit in Shala's office and talk about ethics one-on-one. Mm. Wow. I'll never apologize again. Right? <laughs> so I, I was sitting here thinking like, this is a situation to where the dual relationship works to my benefit, I think. Not that I couldn't have gotten something wonderful out of that class, but one-on-one time talking about ethics with Shala, like that was, those right? are some of the, the most amazing times at UNT. That's awesome. That's really cool. And was there any um, sort of concerns from your classmates uh, or that, that sort of some some as far as far as, you know, just be you know, your sister's your teacher and uh, in that regard or not that I recall. I'm I'm so I made some of the best friends that I've ever had while I was at UNT mm. and and it an orientation. Uh, Rick was doing our orientation. He's like, some of you are going to meet some of your best friends. Some of you might meet some of like your your husbands or wives mm. or partners for the rest of your life. And we're all sitting in there like this guy, this this old guy with his ponytail and his gray hair. What's he know about us? And mm. sure enough, uh, he was absolutely right. Not only did I wow. meet some of the best friends still to this day, but I also met my wife while I was there. So. Uh, It all kind of worked out nicely. Yeah. But so I, I'm still in contact with all of them and none of them has said anything. I think they were, (laughs) they all kind of came from the same perspective. Like most people think this is going to, she's going to go easy on you, but that's probably not the case. It's going to be tougher. Uh, And most people are going to probably view Tracy saying you're going to go easy on your brother when that's also probably not the case. So we're both kind of put in uh, tough situations there, but I think it all worked out rather nicely. And I don't think anybody saw beneficial treatment or differential Mm. treatment or anything like that. I think it worked out rather nicely. Yeah. I mean, there was some overlap in, in some spaces, but for the most part, you know, Joe was doing his master's degree and, and interacted with all the faculty and Mm. and his own spaces, um, that, that he was going to work in, um, you know, and, and carved his own path through, I was there, but I was also trying to get tenure. Um, so, so I could, I couldn't be overly concerned with, with what Joe was doing because mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I had my own things that, that I needed to, to pay attention to. Um, but I think we we're also, you know, uh, constantly open, um, about the fact, you know, cause it, at orientation, I remember Joe, when you came for, for orientation, someone, there was all these murmurings going around about, you know, she on, she on what's going on. And, <laughs> and, and someone asked if Joe was my husband, I still get asked that on a regular basis. I'm like, no, look at us. We look exactly the same. If I was <laughs> like, Joe, if Joe is here, um, you know, he has the hair, of course, um, that, that, you know, he looks just like me. And, um, and so, so everyone thought I had the secret husband for a year before Joe. Oh came my gosh. And right. Um, so, so, so it was pretty, you know, open, like she not a common last name. Right. Um, and, and so, you know, pretty early on, we we're, we we're talking about it, we we're transparent about it, about having second greeters, um, you know, those sorts of things. I think I was graduate student advisor for some of that time, but you had a proxy advisor. So I wasn't, you know, involved in, in those things. And, and as Joe said, I probably would have been harder on him um, if in, in any situation. And so mm-hmm. we hold each other, I think we both hold each other in high regard and, and have high expectations for one another in terms of how we move through the, uh, our professional lives mm-hmm. so joe where'd you go to where'd you go from unt uh california for a year uh, okay. about seven eight years ago uh, mm-hmm. um so when i graduated uh from unt i knew that i wanted to get a phd but i didn't know where i wanted to get it at and i didn't mm-hmm. feel like i was a good candidate yet uh, even mm. though I did take the leisure route at UNT and and took five years while I was there because mm. new opportunities to continue to present themselves that I just I couldn't say no because the mm-hmm. opportunities were growth. Mm-hmm. 
so while I was at UNT, I developed a relationship with Justin Leaf, uh, who's mm. uh, now the executive director at Autism Partnership Foundation. Uh, and we were working on some research together while I was there. Um, and he started up a, a research internship uh, and it was a year long internship. And I saw it as an opportunity to get more experience with research, build up my CV and apply to PhD programs after that. So I came out for a year uh, and that was in 2015. Uh, and I've been here ever since. Uh, so because after that year, I started looking into online PhD programs so I could continue to to get the experience that I was getting working with Justin, uh, mm. but, you know, advance my academic career as well uh, and understanding of the science. Uh, so I was looking at places that I could go. And I remember to this day when I, at, when I graduated UNT, I was talking to Sigrid Glenn about online PhD programs. She's like, Joe, absolutely do not do an online PhD program. Mm -hmm. And I hold her in such high regard. And I was like, well, crap, now I'm stuck. I can't, Sigrid told me, no, I can't do it. <laughs> um, but as I started to look into them a little bit more and the technology and how it advanced uh, to where Zoom became a thing and it was becoming more the norm to have online PhD programs. Sure. And Mary Jane Weiss was teaching at Indicott in their PhD program that when I applied, they had just had their first two cohorts. So I was a third cohort at, at mm. Indicott. Uh, and uh, Mary Jane Weiss does does amazing work. So I, I wanted yes. to continue to be around amazing people. I was around amazing people at, at UNT. I was around amazing people at AP and APF. And I wanted to continue to be around amazing people doing amazing work. So I applied there uh, and got my PhD program with her in the cut. Hmm. And, this, and, and, that was, and that was online? That was online. Yeah, okay. it's, a, it's a synchronous online program. So it's Zoom just like this. So you're mm. you're effectively in a classroom. You're just at your own home uh, mm. while you're in that classroom. So, yeah. 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 And and sorry, you, you, you just touched on the connection to Justin. So was Justin also a student at UNT with you? Was he one of these classmates or no? He, he was not. Um, no. So Justin had he went to KU. Uh, okay. And so he graduated from KU. And after he graduated from KU, um, he ended up back here at AP when they were trying to start up some some research to help disseminate some of the things that uh, they were doing in the clinic that they thought might be beneficial for people outside of, of the AP world. Mm -hmm. uh, and as he was developing that research and disseminating that that research, um, Shala actually uh, developed a relationship with him. Uh, mm. And so that's where the the research collaboration happened right. between those two. And Shala started a research fellowship uh, at Easter Seals. And that was about the time that I, it was about my fourth year at UNT. Uh, but mm. When that opened, I was like, hey, can I do this? Please, can I apply for this? So um, that's where I started a relationship with Justin. But I had, I was also working uh, with a family in the North Texas area that John McCacken was consulting for as well. Mm. So I, I had a relationship with AP through John McCacken, and then I had a research relationship with AP through through Justin. Uh, and he wanted to expand the, the research that they were able to do, because at that point in time, he was the only one that was out here doing research. Mm. Uh, and one other UNT student, Donna Tomley Cochran, at the time, uh, came, went out before me to do the year-long research internship. And when she left, I came out. Hmm. And so how long have you been at AP now? Uh, well, I physically had been here since 2015. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but I started working uh, with AP with the family in North Texas, so maybe hmm. around like 2012. Okay. Um, 
And so I started as as the, the team lead for that team. Uh, and it was wonderful because UNT continued to have these wonderful students that were applying that needed jobs that, hey, or come, come and help work with this family. So you were able to get some really amazing people uh, to, to work with you. So I didn't really have to do much work being a team lead. I just needed to find people to, to be on that team because they were su such amazing people going to UNT already. So uh, yeah, but physically I've been out here since 2015. Mm -hmm. And what are, what are, what's kind of, what are some of the kind of things you're, you're, uh... the third secret word is partnership. Obviously, obviously autism partnership. So it's autism. Uh, what, what are kinds of, what's, what's, is there like a focus of kind of your research? Like, or, or are you just sort of, it's, it seems like you, you look at sort of a lot of different aspects of sort of autism intervention, um, 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 but is, is there sort of a, a specialization or a favorite area like what, what, that you like kind of working in? That's a, that's a good question. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted to come out and do research with Autism Partnership, and, and I think this happened at every stage of my experience in, in autism intervention, I, I thought special school district we were doing amazing things. But then you go and talk to other people and there, there's these bubbles of amazing things happening and it doesn't get out of that bubble that frequently. And then I went to UNT and I learned the, there's amazing things happening here. And then I learned about AP and I see the clinic and I say, there's amazing things happening here. Why don't more people know about these amazing things? So I told Justin, if, if I'm going to come out to do research, I want to do research on the things that are happening in the clinic that people don't really know about. Mm -hmm. um, so my my goal was to look at what the clinicians were doing, the amazing work that they were doing and develop research questions around that, that which is a, I, I know we talk about translational research in our field and that it's a two-way street, but mm. it doesn't always happen that way. Mm, um, yeah. So where practice is informing research uh, and, you know, we want research to inform practice, but it doesn't always happen the other, mm -hmm. other direction. So I wanted mm -hmm. to do that. So that was my main interest. Uh, but I don't, I think if I had to put a word or a few words on, on what in the autism realm is I think effectiveness, efficiency, and quality. Um, mm. Because I think we have two major problems in the autism realm right now, especially when it comes to behavior analytic services for autistic yep. individuals. One is access. Uh, there's limited access. And we know that there's disparities to access depending on where you live, your social and economic status, all of those types of variables. Sure. Uh, but even once you get access, access to quality then becomes a problem too. So mm. uh, I, I've been focused, our research has focused a lot on the second part, the quality. So once you do get access, we want to improve the, the, the quality of the services that you actually get access to. Um, so any research that we can do to help inform that has mm. kind of been our mission and our goal. But and, and I chase shiny, shiny objects just like Tracy does. Uh, so anytime something comes up that's super interesting, I, I want to go that direction. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the shiny objects that I like to follow are the, some of the dogmas in our field. Um, mm. It's like, oh, you should just always do this thing. And it's like, well, why should we always do that thing? What's the mm. research saying? It's like, well, the research doesn't say it, but my mentor's mentor's mentor told them, and then it came down to me. So this is why we always give like praise, corrected praise. And it's like, well, wait, why are we doing that? Mm. So it's 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 things are the shiny objects that I like to look at. But I think that's yeah. really fair. A fair point. A good point is about sort of the mentor to mentor to mentor sort of story because there's a real 
and, and this is probably the case in every field, but you know, th there's a real celebrity culture in our field. Uh, you know, we, 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 there, there's some, there's some folks that have done a really good job of, 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 of getting their name out there and, and, uh, and sort of, you know, being respected to the point that whenever, you know, and, and I won't name anyone, but whenever so-and-so says something, it's gospel. That's, that must be the best way to do things. That must be the way to kind of inform things. And, and, uh, you know, I remember reading, I remember reading a social media post one time about, you know, who should I look up to or should I look into? And someone said, you know, everything so-and-so says is gospel. Everything so-and-so writes is, is bang on. You've got to, I mean, if they wrote it, then, um, then it's gotta, it's got, it's, it's gotta be it. And, uh, uh, and it can be really easy to sort of, um, um, you know, you know, get tunnel vision, um, you know, uh, and not even think to look sort of outside of anyone else's work. Well, it doesn't matter because he said it. He wrote that. That this is the way it is now. Um, and I do see that in 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 the work that that you folks are doing. You 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 um you and and I think you you write some papers that are and 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 forgive me. I don't know if I'm using the right term, um, but for certain groups, come off as I think maybe a bit controversial. Um, um, uh, because I think you're, you're, you're kind of willing to address things that, that folks don't want to talk about the folks, folks don't want to be sort of proved. And I know your goal is to prove people wrong, but folks don't want to be proved wrong in certain areas. I think, I think folks are worried about some of these sort of celebrity sort of, um, um, you know, um, sort of icons being brought down and suddenly going, wait a second, how, how dare you say, you know, what so-and-so said is wrong or what so-and-so is incorrect. And I know that's not your goal to sort of take people down and whatnot. I know you're not an ad adversarial approach, but I think just because of sort of social media and sort of everything else, um, folks, you know, see some of these titles and whatnot and uh, and, and, and and get their, their feathers ruffled. I'm, I'm curious sort of, you know, you know, without kind of getting into the specific ones, because I don't think that's, that's important or, or necessary, but uh, how, how just, all of the and maybe maybe this is just me. Maybe I've just sort of seen more of this feedback because I'm I spend a lot more time in social media and whatnot. Um, uh, and maybe the, the best thing is just to avoid it. Um, uh, but um, uh, how has all of that kind of affected your work and, and, and your process, or has the, it at all the social uh, the social media or ruffle and feathers? Uh, well, I think I think both. I think both. I think both. And 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 and, and, and I think it's. I mean, I think you've even done some research on the social media itself, um, but, um, uh, or, or some folks have anyway. And, and I know it's really hard to sort of take, you know, I mean, actually, Tracy, you could probably speak to a lot of this around some, some of these, you know, the, the, the sort of interlocking contingencies and all those sorts of pieces that are kind of going on. You probably together could kind of uh, give, give me, a, give me a great answer to kind of what's happening here, but it's. I already uh, have one paper in the work, so that'll have to be next. Oh, so. yes. Okay. Well, well, let's come to that in a second. But yeah, I'm just curious how it's, 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 it, it, it's, uh, you know, and I'll probably get letters, but it's because because I've had a lot of folks on that 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 the you know disagree with 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 some of the stuff that I think AP has put out and and spoke on, um, and uh, um, and so and 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 I'm I'm one that gives in to peer pressure quite often, um, you know if I start getting you know 
um, the people kind of coming at me, I, I'm so quick to back down. And that's certainly a, something I've worked on in therapy and whatnot. But um, uh, I'm, I'm just curious how that's affected you both both in your work, but also personally and, and, and sort of mentally and whatnot. It's a, it's a good question. Um, I think social media, yeah, it would be wonderful if we could all avoid it. But unfortunately, at this point in time, it's here and we have yeah. to figure out how to how to work within it. And I think yeah. social media can be and do and has done wonderful things. Sure. I think some of the algorithms have done some awful things hmm. uh, in terms of selecting the verbal communities that you're a part of uh, and, and reinforcing some specific things and take, mm -hmm. taking your online behavior in different directions. So uh, I with there's some wonderful things on social media and there's some awful things on social media. Yeah. Uh, personally, I, I grew up and, and my training was uh, it reinforced professional discourse. Uh, and I think that's that's one thing that has consistently been modeled for me uh, and and has I've grown from professional discourse. I like to be around people that disagree with me. Justin and I get into very heated debates all of the time uh hmm. and but we grow from it and we're also able to go grab a beer afterwards uh hmm. like we don't take it personally or anything like yeah. that because it doesn't get to any like personal attacks or anything like that it's just sure. professional disagreements and yeah. we have some opposing views and i know that might sound weird because Justin and i have worked so long together but i think the reason we work so long together is because we do have some competing uh views on things and mm. we're able to work through them and we're both able to grow from those things mm. and so professional discourse has never bothered me ruffling yeah. if research ruffles feathers if the data ruffles feathers i'm fine with those feathers getting ruffled mm. uh i think you know it, it if we're letting the data do the talking and the data ruffles your, your feathers or ruffles my feathers, I think that that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, the things that I, I don't like that are happening on social media, like the, the personal attacks and all of that type of stuff. Uh, and I'm not sure how we're going to address some of that as a field, but we, I mean, we have the tools to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, we just need to get in there and, and do some of that work or at least acknowledge some of the potential dangers that can come from, 140 characters uh, telling a, a whole story when it, it really doesn't. I think a lot of yeah. the problems that our field is is circling back to a little bit more have a lot of nuance, but they're being discussed in forums that don't allow a lot of nuance. So when mm -hmm. we're talking about some of the, the criticisms of our field, regardless of what those criticisms are, and those discussions are happening in, in mediums that don't allow for discussions of nuance, I, I think we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, and But I think that's different arguing is much different than professional discourse. And so there have been things that have been said about me and I don't think that I'm going to make everybody happy all of the time. And yeah. as long as, as long as I think that we're continuing to do quality work and we're continuing to, to improve the lives and the access of the quality to the people that need access to those services, I'm going to continue to do that work, uh, whether it's going to ruff, ruffle feathers or not. I hope that it doesn't ruffle feathers because I mm. like it. It brings me back to special school district. Aren't we all here to to improve the world? Aren't we all here to improve the the clients' lives that we work with? Mm. Uh, I, I think we're all here for the same things. There might be different directions that we see that we need to go for those things, and there might be some completely opposing philosophical beliefs as to who's in charge of what and which direction things should go. But I think we're all here for the right reasons, at least I mm. hope. Uh, 
as, as behavior analysts, but we definitely have some problems in our field that we need to address head on. Uh, yeah. And I, I have no problems addressing those things head on if it's going to improve the field and improve the quality of the services that are directly related to our science. Mm-hmm. So Tracy, you said you got a, you got a paper coming out. Uh, tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Oh, well, we're still thinking about it, but Joe asked me to write a chapter for a book he's editing, I think. Mm. And uh, so we're going to we're going to put our heads together and expand um, a little bit of our discussion from a paper we published in when like 2017 ish or so Joe, mm. on uh, establishing a common vocabulary and, and mm. staff training. And and so we're, we're still uh, kind of thinking through some of the ideas about what's going to come out in, in this next chapter, but we mm. definitely get that one finished before we we start on the next paper you mentioned mm. uh, that we haven't talked about about interlocking behavioral contingencies and yeah behavior. yeah 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 cool cool it's actually and i meant to add, you kind of alluded to it just now but uh you talked about that 2017 article have, have you done have you done other papers together no, that was the the first one we did. We we had a really I, I at least had a, I shouldn't speak for Joe. I had fun writing that paper with Joe. Um, mm. you know, because we do work now in in kind of different areas. Mm. We don't um uh, have as much opportunity to overlap and and work on common projects. Um, but that was one that uh, Shala and some colleagues were putting together a special section in a journal um, and had asked me to to write a paper about, I think, about staff training. I pitched that idea and I said, well, Joe should help me write this chapter if he's down. Um, and because uh, we were both there and experiencing it from different perspectives and sharing those those different perspectives and, and kind of the same approach that, that was being done, we thought would be a, a valuable contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, to the to the literature and it seems that a lot of folks like that paper. We had fun working on it together. It was made easy holiday gifts um, because we could give a, <laughs> a framed copy to both of our parents and <laughs> sign that and, and move on for the Perfect. year. And uh, so when Joe mentioned uh, another opportunity to kind of expand on that, I said, sure, but are you going to write it with me? He said, well, can you take the lead? And I said, okay. Um, so he's, I think he's waiting for me to take the lead now so mm-hmm. that we can get that chapter done. I love it. This this was said in a public forum. So <laughs> yes, no, it's there, Joe. There, there, there's an, an official uh, a folder in my email uh, focused on that chapter. I've been thinking about it. I just have another chapter I, I have to get out next month first. So. Yeah. yeah, but I, I it was an enjoyable experience working on that paper. And I think mm-hmm. part of it was being able to reminisce on the time at Special School District because mm-hmm. a lot of it stemmed from the work that was being done there. Uh, and a lot of the work that that Tracy spearheaded. Uh, and I still use some of that terminology or at least try to train on some of that terminology today. And, and mm. one that I, I still love and I think is is still important is function on the fly. Uh, that was used to describe assessing function on a moment to moment basis. Mm. Uh, and I think that's something that's still very pre- prevalent today and necessary today. And I think it's a wonderful descriptor but the crux of that paper is if that if that terminology doesn't work for you where you are, don't use it. But, mm. you know, I still love function on the fly. I like mm. function on the fly. I also like quit while you're ahead, um, reminding you to, to stop while your learner is performing at their best rather than continuing. Mm. Really mm-hmm. cool. A couple more questions before we wrap up. I know we got to go in a few minutes. Tracy, you said you just you recently left uh, left UNT. What are you doing now? 
I, I, I'm going back and forth between two titles, stay-at-home scholar or recovering academic. Um, I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure which one is, is the more appropriate title. Like, I, I think I want to be, I think I aspire to be a stay-at-home scholar, and that's what I had been using. But the other day, it occurred to me that I might be a recovering academic on my way to being a stay-at-home scholar, um, because I'm still trying to wrap up a lot of, of, of commitments um, for folks who have who've not been in academic positions. Mm. Um I mean, I know that you end up kind of working two full-time jobs. And so I still have about 40 hours a week of service responsibilities that I'm, I'm kind of navigating through editorial work, um, work with very special interest groups, and um, just wrapping up some writing assignments, too, that, mm. that um, kind of keep coming your way. Um, but uh, to, to make maybe a little bit of a longer story short, um, I uh, uh, got married, uh, moved to Memphis, um, <laughs> bought a new house. Um, awesome. So I, I sort of at a, a, a transition point, I had um, it was time for me to, to move on from UNT uh, mm. and the timing of it just sort of also coincided with an engagement and looking for uh, positions at the same university for two academics can be challenging. Mm. Um, found some opportunities that would work well for me. Me, but not necessarily for my my partner. And um, he he said, "Do you want to be a, a stay at home scholar and come to Memphis, where he had a, a position?" And he said, "Well, does that mean I have to cook and clean?" Because um, I'm not really interested in that. Um, <laughs> no, more like an elongated sabbatical. Um, so, so I'm spending the time, um, you know, developing um, some new skills. I've uh, taken some, rekindled some of my work in reading instruction, and and developed some additional skills through some trainings and in, in that work. Um, I'm I'm in Carl Binder's performance thinking class now for their development. Oh, cool systems analysis work and, and work in cultural behavior science. I'm the editor for behavior and social issues. Right. Um, I'm committed to three chapters right now. Um, and I can't tell you how many articles and I'm also <laughs> trying to get some, some research back up and running. Um, so, so it's, it's not for, for lack of, 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 of things to do right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I also started a master's in public health. So I'm just sort of, um, wow catching up on some things on the um, side yeah. you know, on the side right um <laughs> building some skills but my my and I, I don't necessarily want to say that I have a particular goal at this point in time mm. um, but one of the the things that I'm I'm curious about and have been for some time is how we move um more of the cultural behavior science work out into community-based application mm. and and so looking at um for example some of the work from uh behavioral community psychologists and in bringing multiple organizations and the community-based organizations together toward the same goal for community strengthening and, and, and improvement through youth engagement and, and leadership opportunities. These are some of the, the spaces that I'd like to, to see the science move in uh, to learn more about how to do it. And for years, I was teaching students saying, you know, behavior analysis can be applied in all of these, these wonderful areas, right? But then you go to look for a job and, and all the jobs are sort of in the, the same applications thereof. Um, and, and so so I thought, well, you know, I can't keep telling these students to, to go, you know, get these jobs in areas where, where they aren't there. So maybe this is my opportunity to get out there and do some of the things like in the late 60s and early 70s and, and show folks what we can do mm. um, and and get them interested and curious about the science and, and seeing the value and benefit in, in bringing behavior scientists on in, in different spaces than, than what we're, we've commonly worked in. So no, we'll, we'll see. It's, it's to be determined yet. Sounds good. And you, Joe, I mean, obviously still at AP, what, 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 what's going on these days for you? Uh, yeah, so now, like I said, Justin is now the Executive Director of Autism Partnership Foundation, which means I'm now the Director of Research at Autism Partnership mm. Foundation. Uh, so we're 
we're trying to recover from what 2020 did to everybody uh, mm-hmm. a little bit, you know, uh, so we had to make a huge shift in the research projects that we had going on and we're still recovering from that. So we're trying to ramp up research again. Uh, so that's, that's continually happening there. Uh, and I'm teaching at Indicott College in the PhD right. program for behavior analysis. Uh, and so there I, I get to do some of the general stuff. And I always joke around, I, I teach the history of behavior analysis class. And that's a wonderful right. class to teach because the syllabus never changes, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I joke about that, but the syllabus changes every year. Um, sure. But so, yeah, so I still get to to do some of that fun stuff in the academic realm and still do a lot of the research that we're doing and try to figure out how to decrease barriers to access to the field. You know, we offer the 40-hour RBT uh, training uh, for free, which it continually be, is a thorn in our side to keep up and running with how many people are accessing it, which we never thought of. But so, yeah, just continuing to ask those questions and mm. maybe try to avoid ruffling too many feathers along the way. Yeah, yeah. It's the last comment. I know. I know. I promised you, you folks, you'd be done right now. So, but just one thing, I, I, I felt I'd be, be behooved not to, not to mention. And uh, uh, when I was doing some of the research on this, I, I came upon a video uh, on the Daily BA, um, and it, uh, it brought me back to all the, all those little uh, short videos of, uh, uh, of David Blaine with um, super famous celebrities uh, freaking them out. And this is a, a lovely video of, uh, uh, of. Of the David Blaine of behavior analysis, uh, Joe d- <laughs> doing um, doing some really 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 fun um, uh, close up card magic, uh, uh, you know, with Justin and a few other behavior analysts, uh, I- including the late great Stephen Foreman, uh, um, and uh, uh, I just want to I, I, I just think that's awesome that you, that that on the side you're doing you're, you're doing card tricks, um, uh, and, and I'll, I'll I'll link folks uh, uh, to that video and 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 not take too much time out of it, but uh, uh, it's just really cool to to kind of you know kind of kind of see what folks do on the side and, and so on and so forth and. Uh, um, and and yeah, you know, I I I don't I don't know about you folks, but I, I I'm I'm so glad you guys are willing to do this and come on and talk about your your personal lives a bit, talk about your journey and your story, and and uh, you know I think I I think it'll it'll hit home for a lot of folks, and and uh, you know there are a lot of little, little tidbits that I'll, that I'll tease out. I think that will lead to a lot of good links and articles for folks to check out, and and uh, I, I I look forward to seeing. Uh, you know the next chapter, the next, the next, the next little while in 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 the uh, in the uh, Xi'an behavior analysis dynasty. Thanks, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> so it's, it's always a pleasure to to spend some time interacting with Joe and and to do that also as a a guest on on your podcast has been yeah. great fun fun times reminiscing and thinking about and reflecting on on our histories and and how we've come to be here now. Cool. All right. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right. I almost hit end again. I did that last time instead of stop. <laughs>